From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. So today we're off to Great Britain by way of Skype from my home office in Chicago, and we're connecting with one of the leading minds in beauty, better business, best practices. That's a lot of Bs. I got through it. Anthony Whitaker is a brilliant business thought leader with a worldwide reputation based on more than 30 years of success. The two-time Australian hairdresser of the year and wildly successful salon owner has gone on to become an internationally acclaimed educator, motivator, business coach, and best-selling author. He's a weekly contributor to AmericanSalon.com, where he shares his outstanding two-minute salon manager videos with our audience. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, Anthony Whitaker. Gordon, it's fantastic to be here. With an introduction like that, I'm looking forward to what I've got to say on myself. <laughs> You're going to do all that and more. So I'm so excited to have you here. Um, we first actually met, I believe, in person uh, after knowing you by reputation for years at the, um, I believe it was the Paul Mitchell Gathering a couple years ago. It probably was the first time, yes. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, a great opportunity. I know we, we did some video work with you with our American Salon Artist Stories Series and, and so again, I'm just so excited to do this. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience and, and tell us what you're up to and, and, and maybe give us a, a look into the, the daily life of Anthony Whitaker. Okay. So look, where do I start? It's, uh, I, I think it's important to sort of yeah, give people a little bit of reference to my background, who I am, where I've come from. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's that, old, that old chestnut start with why, first of all, like, why should you listen to me? Why, why have I arrived at this point in my career? Well, um, I'm a hairdresser. Uh, I started hairdressing in 1978, so uh, you know, a long time ago, in uh, Wellington in New Zealand. And I very quickly um, knew that if I was going to be a hairdresser, I wanted to work for the best. And the best at that time, well, not just at that time, the best was Vidal Sassoon. Uh, they weren't in New Zealand, not even nearly. So uh, I, you know, packed my bag and. Uh, moved to London, where I applied for and eventually started at Sassoon. And um, I ended up being there for 10 years. And uh, it was a fantastic 10 years, great company to work for. When I left, I was uh, one of the creative directors in the London salons and schools. So that was a, you know, a very exciting, um, you know, career trajectory for me. And then I reached that point that a lot of young hairdressers reach where it's, it's time to do this myself. And uh, so you know, I was 31, I think, and I decided to move back to the other side of the world. So I moved to Sydney in Australia. My wife was from Sydney, Australia, and I opened up salons. Um, I had those salons for 14 years, and we'll talk more about my journey as we go, uh, you know, through this podcast. But at the end of that 14 years, I, I sold my business and decided to concentrate on education. And it was very much you know, just an evolving process. And the education that I decided to focus on was more the business side of beauty. And a lot of that was because that was my journey that I'd, you know, I'd worked at Sassoon. I was a creative director. I knew a lot about cutting hair. I was good at cutting hair. I think I still am good at cutting hair. And, you know, so I moved to Sydney. I opened up a salon and I make that mistake that so many hairdressers make. And that is that they think that because they're good at cutting hair, that they'll be good at running a hairdressing business. And the two things have got absolutely nothing to do with each other. So, you know, very quickly, you have to, you know, recognize that the skills that made you a successful hairdresser are not the same skills that will make you successful at running a hairdressing business. And uh, you either learn or you perish. And uh, 
uh, I jumped in the deep end and I, I learned and I learned fast because I knew that that's what I had to do. Um, people often ask me, was there a, was there a point? Was there something that happened? And, and, you know, there was a catalyst for sort of embracing the, the business side of beauty. And, you know, I, I, th- th- there was one point that I sort of often allude to in my, my seminars. And that is that there was a day where I had four or five clients in the salon. They were all my clients. And in the staff room, I had 14 staff. And it was just this moment in time where I thought, this is not why I opened up a business for me to be doing all the work and to have 14 staff in the back room. Uh, this was the days where you could smoke in the staff room. And there were clouds of smoke, you know, blowing out of the staff room. I hear them laughing out there, you know, they're drinking all the coffee. They're having a great old time. And old Muggins here is out on the salon floor spinning plates with four, if not five clients, uh, which I often were. And look, I loved that because I was always one of those people that said, I don't go to work to eat my lunch. I go to work to be busy and to be productive. And that that's how I like it. But you know, it was that moment in time where it, I, I refer to it as a tap on the shoulder. It was that tap on the shoulder that said to me, Anthony, this is not why you opened up a business. It was that moment in time where I recognized that my success or the success of any salon owner is not about doing all the work. Your success is about your ability to reproduce yourself and to get other people to do what you could do. And so that was a a bit of a defining moment. And um, around about the same time, I I read a quote from um, Andy Warhol. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know exactly what it was, but it, it basically what he said was he, he was asked in an interview uh, something along the lines of um, what is the most creative art form? Now, Andy Warhol, as our listeners will know, you know, he was a photographer. He was a he was an artist. He was a uh, a sculptor. He was he was all, he, he crossed lots of different mediums, and his his answer was that business was the most creative art form that there is because a business is a living, breathing thing. It's always evolving. It's always changing. But a business always has to work. And I, I don't know, but when I heard that, it was sort of like it was cool to be creative with business because until that point I was creative with my hands with cutting hair with with doing hair hair was where creativity was and and business represented something that wasn't creative it wasn't exciting and you know it, it's like things happen for a reason you hear things you see things for a reason and and that statement to me was something that sort of gave business credibility and so I started to view building a business as a very creative very cool thing to do and it is. That's so profound. And um, I'm going to wait till after the podcast. I, I promise not to get near Google while I'm speaking with you, but I'm going to find that quote. I, I love to post quotes on Instagram. And, and so that's probably going to be this evening's quote if I can track it down. That That is profound, as, as Andy Warhol, Warhol often was. Um, that, but that's genius. I, I want to ask you, um, you again, you, you know, you've been coaching people, you've been educating in business for a long time now, and I'm, I'm sure you've run across more people than you can count who have wanted to open a salon or maybe are in the process of and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, the, the big I, the decision process. How do you know if you're that person? How do you know if you've got what it takes to be a business person um, once you hit that place in your career where you're thinking maybe that is your direction for whatever the reasons are? Well, that's really opening up a can of worms because there's so many, you know, new things that are on the table now to talk about in the context of that. Um, I, I think that unfortunately, too many people feel that it's a logical next step, you know, that you're a hairdresser and that and that therefore one day you'll own your own business. And um, most people and myself included, 
definitely opened up a business for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, I hear um, and I'm not being, uh, well, you know, I'm not being negative about this. I'm just sort of stating it. I'll constantly, you know, see things on social media and you're, you're on discussion groups where, where you'll hear young stylists saying, you know, I give my boss 50% of what I take. It's just not fair. You know, if he can't run a business on that, that or, or she can't run a business on that, you know, that's not my problem. The, the degree of naivety that we have as an industry about what it costs to run a business is astounding. And I'm putting myself in that same context, okay? So I'm not, you know, part of the reason why I may be successful as, a, as an educator is um, that I'm you, the hairdresser. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, slinging mud at anybody. I'm talking about myself here. Um, I'm talking about myself, who was completely naive about business and had 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 little to no understanding of what it really involved, what was involved, sorry, in terms of the cost of running a business. So I opened a business for all the wrong reasons, completely unprepared for the reality of what's involved. And, um, uh, you know, that that's a, a huge learning curve and it's a mistake, you know, but this industry is full of people like that. Unfortunately, they don't all survive. I mean, you know, less than 20% of new businesses, and this isn't just hairdressers, this is small businesses across the board, you know, less than 20% of them reach their fifth birthday. Now, you know, that's a, that's a statistic that's worth bearing in mind, but what you don't see or hear about is the carnage that sits on the other side of that statistic. I mean, there's people's life savings. There's people gone bankrupt. There's, you know, kids that have borrowed uh, uh, their pension money from their parents. There's, there's parents who are who've, who've retired to put their life savings into getting a, you know, their, their child set up in a business, and they lose a lot. And, you know, I suppose this is part of my part of my journey for why I started to talk about business. That, you know, I was always passionate about hairdressing, and I am very passionate about hairdressing. But, you know, what I realized was that. You know, there were lots of people who would stand on stage as an educator and they would teach you how to cut hair and color hair and put hair up. And as an industry, we're obsessed with the creative, the visual side of what we do. And that's great. I count myself in that camp as well. But, you know, that is not the skills that you need to build a successful business. You know, there's there's many a successful business out there that the reason they're successful is because they're not owned by a hairdresser. And, you know, the problem with hairdressers is, is that they try and solve, you know, we, meaning me here, we try and solve all our problems in business through hairdressing. Now, if you opened a salon, you're not a hairdresser. So you would be trying to solve your problems through through marketing, through cash flow management, through people management, and they're the skills of business. The skills of a hairdresser are, you know, with a scissor comb, a blow dryer, and a brush, um, and, and they're great skills, and I'm very proud of the fact that I'm a hairdresser, but those skills are not the skills that you need, you know, to build and run a successful business. So, you know, an answer to your question, how do you know whether it's right for you? Well, think long and hard about it. Do not think that it's an automatic transition, and please do not make the mistake of thinking that because your boss has taken 50% or whatever of what you're producing, that um, that he or she is rolling about in cash when they go home at night, because I can guarantee you that most of them aren't. And that's everywhere. You know, this is not an American thing or an Australian thing or a British thing. Salons all over the world run on very, very small profit margins. So if you're going to open a salon, be prepared for the reality of you need to wear lots of different hats. And, you know, the hats of the businessman, the hats of the financial controller, the hats of the marketeer, the hats of, of dealing with um, HR issues, people issues are not the fun, sexy, creative hats that you wear when you're cutting and coloring hair and doing photo shoots. But 
If you're not prepared to wear those hats, either work with a partner who is, or please just be an employee working for someone else who has the ability to run a great business so that you can focus on, you know, doing hair and building up a fantastic clientele and doing what you love. I have a whole lot of thoughts. <laughs> that was great. I love that. Um, I think if you're not drawn to something when you're young, you know, the odds are later in life that, that you'll successfully transition to that category of work are, are, are somewhat rare. Um, if, if you're not somebody who is fascinated with business at an early age or at the early stage of your career, if you're not fascinated with learning how to lead or, or learning how to manage or market, if that's not like your hobby um, or, or it inspires you when you're younger, most people I see when they try to make that turn in their careers, they, they really struggle with it. I think, you know, we're drawn to different things. If you're drawn to service and if you're drawn to creativity, I, I do think it is the rare individual who can make the leap. Yeah, it's part of your education. I mean, I'm, again, you know, I'm like a lot of hairdressers. Perhaps I weren't successful in the traditional sense of academic education. Um, and, you know, I don't say that with any shame. It just wasn't the, the path that my life led me on. It certainly doesn't mean that I'm I'm not bright. Um, I had 17 different jobs before I became a hairdresser. I didn't start hairdressing until I was 21. And even then I fell into it. It was definitely not something that I had a great uh, passion for. I have um, uh, five brothers and and my dad, um, you know, they're, they're craftspeople. Like, so they predominantly work with furniture. They were furniture restorers, you know, upholsterers, French polishers. Um, and so it was sort of determined that I would also become a craftsman, someone who worked with their hands. And, um, uh, you know, I tried working with my dad as a French polisher and, you know, did numerous other jobs from selling encyclopedias door to door to working on the railways to making hamburgers. I did everything and hated all of them. And then, you know, I sort of fell into hairdressing, which is a, a, another story. Um, but I very quickly realized that, that I, I loved it. I, I loved I need to tell you the story. A, a careers counselor said to me, my, my mom sent me to a careers counselor when I was 20. She said, you know, you need to you need to get something stable in your life. And my brothers had all got straight into apprenticeships and my sisters uh, who became a nurse. Um, and I drifted from one job to the other. So I went and saw a careers counselor who said to me, what do you want from a job? Now, bear in mind, I didn't want to be at this careers counsellor. Um, I'd gone there rather begrudgingly. And so when she said, what do you want from a job? I looked at her with a the you know smart aleck attitude of a 20-year-old. And I said, I don't know what I want to do for a job. If I did, I wouldn't be here. And she said to me, you know, uh, rather sternly, she said, I didn't say, what do you want to do for a job? I said, what do you want from a job? In your wildest fantasies. So you know, she'd sort of told me off. And I thought, okay, in my wildest fantasies, I'll tell you what I want to do for a job or don't want to do. I said, well, um, I want to work inside. Um, I do not want to get my hands dirty. Um, I want to uh, use my hands. I do not want to be sat at a desk. I want the opportunity to wear nice clothes to work. I, I want to, uh, uh, it to be very social. Um, I want to listen to music while I'm working. I want it to be fun. I don't want it to be too serious. Um, I want it to be creative. And so I rattled off this sort of hit list. And to tell you the honest truth, I was really being a bit of a smart aleck. And she just leant forward at the end of this little diatribe of mine and said to me, have you ever thought of being a lady's hairdresser? Now, when she said that, it was like, you know, I just looked at her as if to say, I knew this was a waste of time. But everything I had described 
was hairdressing. And, you know, this is the 70s in, in you know, a small town New Zealand. It, it was also that that crossover period of, um, uh, you know, barbershops and, and ladies salons merging and becoming unisex hairdressers. And so, um, you know, the barbershop at that point wasn't cool. Now, it's had a massive rebirth at the moment. It's the coolest thing on the planet. Um, I didn't see myself working in some little old lady's shampoo and set thing, but all of a sudden this opportunity presented itself to work in a, uh, a new, you know, unisex hair salon. And so I grabbed it and um, I absolutely loved it. You know, it was, it was, I finally found what I was meant to be doing. And so it's interesting how, you know, this list of all the things that I want from a job I'd never put the title of hairdressing on them and it took someone else to do it. And even when they did, I completely discounted it. And it wasn't until I was actually getting my hair cut two or three weeks later with a, uh, an old friend of uh, my family, essentially, um, who was older than me, but he'd had his, he had his own salon and he could see the opportunity for unisex salons. And he was opening a new salon and he was cutting my hair and said, what are you going to do with yourself? Because he knew I drifted from one job to the next. And I said to him, you know, I might have a crack at this. That was the expression. And he said, well, you're a bit older than what we're looking for. But if you're serious about it, um, you know, you can start here as, as an apprentice uh, next week and we'll see how we go. Now, I jumped into the deep end with that. And I but I jumped into the deep end with a lot of jobs. But all of a sudden, I just found myself doing something that I absolutely loved. It just ticked every single box of what I wanted for a job. And then it was on the you know, after doing that for, for two and a half years in New Zealand, um, I knew that if I was going to do this, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to work for the best. And that meant going to London. So, you know, I packed my bag and moved to London. And and what you just described, that jumping into the deep end, not just in hairdressing, but so many other jobs that you tried and didn't like and moved on from. I mean, I, that to me, you know, speaks to one of the reasons that you have been so successful in this industry. And it's a, it's a great message to anybody who's listening, you know, having the ability to, to, to jump in and just go all out for anything that you decide you want to tackle, even if you're not successful. I mean, that, that's, that's a big idea. Yeah. To give it a hundred percent, you know, to like, you know, wh wh whatever you do to, to commit to it. In fact, I know you're going to ask me a question later on about, you know, the best advice I've ever been given. It's, it's, and, the, and next, it was, it's the next question. So feel, <laughs> feel free to jump in. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to jump in with, with one bit of advice I was given. Um, and I, I actually think of it every time I listen to you doing your podcast, because you'll often reference your dog and how you take the dog for a walk and your dog looks at you as if to say, Gordon, you're not here <laughs> because you're listening to another podcast. And this is actually a really good bit of advice that was given to me. And I often give it to people in my seminar. And it is this, wherever you are, be there. So, you know, I'll often be doing a seminar and, um, you know, there'll be someone on their phone, you know, constantly emailing or, or texting or whatever. And I usually set things up at the beginning of every class by saying, look, you know, while you're in the room, let's be in the room mentally and emotionally and be really engaged with what you're doing. Because, you know, whatever it took to get you here today, I can imagine it was a considerable effort. But if if you're not there, if you try too hard to multitask, hey, listen, maybe this is just me, but I will try and listen to your podcast and read the newspaper or something at the same time. And you can't do it. You can't, you <laughs> I, miss, I do the same. You miss, you, know, you miss these little gems, you know. So uh, I, I often have to remind myself that one. That's sort of a bit of my mantra, I suppose, whether it's when I'm with my kids or when I'm with my wife or or talking to you right now. It's 
wherever you are, be there. Be 100% engaged at the moment. That way you give the most and you get the most at the same time. So, And that is such good advice. And I think today, perhaps more important than ever, because we are so distracted. And and to the so many hairdressers I know who are just killing it on Instagram and, and feeling the pressure of being present on social platforms 24-7. I think it's, it's a great reminder that, that when we are engaged in non-social media-based activities, non-marketing activities, we, we need to let go of the phone, even if it's just for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Because there are so many distractions in our, in our life at the moment. And, uh, you know, there's there's a great video on uh, on YouTube. I think it's called Look Up. In fact, I'm positive it's called Look Up. And I highly recommend that you uh, uh, that all our listeners put it into their YouTube browser and have a, have a look at Look Up. And it's it's a it's you can imagine what it's about. It's a young guy looking at his mobile as he's walking down the road, and he walks past this very attractive young lady, and he keeps walking, she keeps walking, whatever. And and then it shows you what could have happened. And what could have happened, and basically he's looking at his phone doing whatever, and she is as well. And what could have happened was he could have asked her for directions. They could have engaged. They could have met each other. And and then it shows you this, you know, fast forward uh, set of, you know, quick images of, of, of them, you know, getting married, having a family, kids growing up and living a long, happy ever after life. And it's just this thing about reminding us that, look, technology, our phones are brilliant. I couldn't live without mine. But, you know, there's a balance to be got like everything. Absolutely. Now, and you speak of YouTube, and I have to say, um, the Two Minute Salon Manager, your YouTube channel is is absolutely brilliant. You know, every week um, you curate for us some of your favorites that you put on americansalon.com as one of our, our guest contributors. So, I've pulled it up. I've got to sit before we got on the phone, on the Skype, we didn't get on the phone. We're on, before we got on the Skype, um, I pulled it up and I... I I have this thought that maybe we should do a little bit of a round robin of of a couple minutes of some two minute thoughts about the two minute salon manager. How about if I throw out some topics from your playlist and and get you to react for our audience? Okay, yeah, you, you throw them out. So I remember, <laughs> yeah. well, well, they don't have to be specific. The good news is they okay. don't. Ha- no, we do not. In fact, let me say it this way: I, I suggest everybody go watch the videos. Um, I'm going to ask you just a riff on the topic, and then the video will be the piece de resistance for those who want to hear more. So um, one of them here it says that um, I lo- I love this phrase and I. I haven't watched this video yet, so I'm going to plug into it afterwards. Um, success leaves clues. So, talk about just talk about that idea. Success leaves clues. Okay, I, I actually think that is a. I don't know which one you got that from. I think that is a originally a Tony Robbins quote, or that's where I think I originally heard it. And he talks a lot about this idea of modeling people and that you don't have to reinvent the world. You know, if you look at people in any area of life, whether it's you know, physical fitness, whether it's relationships, whether it's, you know, hairdressing, whether it's, you know, uh, social media, anything that someone is good at, it, that why reinvent what, what, what it is? Why not look at what they're doing? Why not model them? Because if they do something and it's working, there's a pretty good chance it's going to work for you as well. It's a little bit, it's like, what's the recipe? You know, it's like if you look at a at someone, a, you know, a great chef, a great cook who makes a cake or whatever, there's a recipe. You put a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, you do it in this order. You know, you, you cook cook it for at this temperature for this long. And if you follow that recipe, you'll get the same or a very similar result. And I think that a lot of things in life apply to that. So, you know, it's success leaves clues. 
Look at people that you admire that are already doing something uh, that you want to do and, and go hang out with them. Ask them how they did that, what it is that they did. What did they read? Where did they go to? You know, how do they think? You know, how much time do they spend learning that? You know, because, you know, if, if it's worked for them, there's a pretty good reason why it will probably work for you as well. And that, you know, that speaks to, to one of my favorite topics, which is mentors and role models. You know, it's going out there and finding role models, as you said, people in and outside the industry you can emulate. And, and definitely, if you can have a conversation with those people, if you can bring them into your lives and have that personal professional connection, that just supercharges everything. Exactly. And again, you know, technology, social media, uh, YouTube has given us access to people before that we've never had access to. You know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people when I uh, have listened to previous American stories. A lot of people mention names like Seth Godin, for example. Here I am, I mean, on the other side of the world, um, and I love Seth Godin. I mean, you know, it, we can all tap into this, you know, this pond of infinite knowledge of, of great uh, thinkers of our time and in our industry. And you don't have to go back that far before. This just wasn't possible to do that. And it, we'd be crazy not to uh, to capitalize on every opportunity that we've got to learn from other people and to be influenced and inspired by other people. And I too love Seth Godin. And I've, I've said this before, anybody who's listening who doesn't know who he is, Google him. Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N is his last name. And he has a daily blog that you can get into your inbox on his newsletter. It's, it's just, it's so good. It's, it's short. It's, it's always something that's relevant to anybody who's in business. And I, and I think every uh, stylist and salon owner in, in some ways, you know, whether employed or, or independent is, is in business for themselves. So I think he's, he's just a great resource. And, and it's funny you mentioned his name because my next one that I'm going to ask from, from your playlist, um, it just screams Seth Godin to me, whether you were influenced by him or not. And it says, implement or perish. That's the that's the title behind this video that you did. Implement or perish. So you want to riff on that. You want to just want to riff on the thought of of implementing or perish. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, all my two minute salon manager videos are they're scripted, and I probably record each one twenty times before I decide one of them is is appropriate. I don't do Facebook Live. It's my ultimate challenge. I have to learn to do Facebook Live. But the, one of the reasons I don't is because. You know, I, I like things to have a beginning, a middle and an end and to have a succinct uh, message. And if I try and do something live, I know I go off track and I just ramble forever. So uh, uh, that's why I'm not doing Facebook Live to date. But it is one of my goals that I'm going to have to embrace that. I know I have to. So implement or perish is, you know, there are a lot of people. I'll often say this in my seminars that, you know, the most dangerous words in the English language are I already know that. Uh, or I've heard that before. And I I sort of set people up at the beginning of seminars to be receptive to new ideas and new ways of learning. And I always, well, not always, I often will throw that one in that the foremost dangerous words in the English language are, I already know that, or I've heard that before. And I set it up by that to say, look, you are going to hear a lot of stuff today that you've heard before. You know, you're going to hear a lot of stuff today that you already know, but are you doing it? And that's the implementation. But you see, it's easy to know what to do. Like, it's easy to have good ideas. I've had so many good ideas, it's not funny. And I bet every one of our listeners have had some great ideas. But there are other people that actually implement those things, and they make a ton of money and become extraordinarily successful in the process. So I think that that 
follows through regardless of what you're talking about. It's the people that are the doers. It's the people that don't just have the idea, but they implement it. And implementing doesn't just mean, you know, doing it once and thinking it's going to work. It means doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And you might fall over again and again and again. But it's, you know, I think the Japanese have an expression. It's something like, you know, seven times down, eight times up. You know, it just means you've just got to keep getting yourself back up, dusting yourself off and getting in there. And that's what I mean by implementers. It's not enough just to know what to do. You've got to implement. You've got to execute. You've got to follow through on things. Talk a little bit about the importance of goals. I, I ask this question a lot, but I, I think it's one of the things most of us struggle in in creating for ourselves and in having and it feels listening to you it feels like goals may have something to do with with implementation and making it happen yeah um i am a believer in in goal setting there is so much research to you know underpin that you know that that the, 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 the value in in setting goals and writing goals down even uh, and and i say even because so many people have a goal running around inside their head and it's and it's not written down on paper, but it's engraved in their memory. I'll tell you where the best place is to see it. Watch the Academy Awards. Pretty much every time you have the Academy Awards, you know, whoever it is is won it. There was a there was a famous one years ago, Whoopi Goldberg, I mean for the color purple. And I think she got on stage and she she said, I have imagined this moment all of my life. I mean, that moment was engraved in her brain. Um, who was the girl? Uh, uh, I'll get killed now for not remembering her name. The girl in Titanic. Oh, my gosh. British actress. And I'm not, or yeah. Australian. Or was she Australian? Kate. Uh, Kate, Kate uh, yes. British. British. Kate, Kate. Kate Winslet? Kate Winslet. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> all, all I <laughs> it's Kate Winslet, you fool. <laughs> Do you not know? You know, I think when she won an Academy Award more recently, she she stood on stage and she said something like, I have rehearsed for this moment all my life as a young girl standing in the bathroom singing into a hairbrush. And, you know, that's the same thing. It was a goal. It was mentally engraved in every cell of her, her body that this was something she was going to achieve. So I do believe in writing goals down because I think that if you write something down, it, it commits something, it, it gives it something real about it that wasn't there than when it was just in your head. But I will often use those examples of like Kate Winslet or whatever uh, as, as being great examples that because hairdressers often don't like to write things down because we're visual, that by having a visual representation of what it is that you want to achieve, it's also a very powerful thing. So it might be, you know, you want that house. Well, have that as a screensaver on your laptop or you want to do X amount of retail this week and, and, and win the retail competition in the salon. Well, you know, have that picture of yourself in, in, in your mind or, you know, on the wall in the staff room of you holding the trophy for the best retailer that week, month, year, whatever it is, because it's very powerful. Uh, ultimately, you're better to do it than not to do it. That That's the difference, isn't it? Whether it's writing it down, whether it's, you know, having a photograph of something um, uh, or just that image, that mantra that you repeat every morning to yourself, it is a powerful thing to take you in that direction. It's that old thing, whatever you focus on, you get. So you can choose to focus on good stuff 
things that you want in life, or you can choose to focus on bad stuff, uh, things that you don't necessarily want. But if you keep focusing on them, that's what you bring more into your life. So, you know, it's a choice like most things. I'm not being, you know, corny here and unrealistic and saying, but hey, listen, I've got bad stuff going on. Hey, I know people that have incredible bad stuff going on in their life, but what they manage to achieve is just phenomenal. And I, I suggest that they manage to achieve that because they create this, this, uh, this image in their mind of how they want their life to be. I, can I share a, a quick story with you about a young man I met who just absolutely epitomizes this? His, uh, his story, you know, often people will say to me, who do you admire? Who inspires you? And, and yes, you know, they expect you to trot out all those famous names of, 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 you know, people like Vidal. And of course, Vidal inspires me and, you know, successful people in this industry. But sometimes you meet the little guy who, who inspires you even more. You know, when I, I was in uh, Hawaii recently at the beginning of the year doing a, an event for uh, Paul Mitchell, which was fantastic. And I met this young guy at the airport. His name's Lucas uh, Doney. And he doesn't mind if I share this story. So, because I asked him, if, do you mind if I share that story? Maybe he didn't imagine I was going to be sharing it with you. <laughs> no, seriously, he doesn't mind that I share this story. Now, Lucas has every reason to um, have had a tough life. Uh, and he doesn't mind me telling you this. His his parents both had substance abuse issues to the degree where his uh, uh, mum was uh, put in jail for uh, six years. Um, his his dad, you know, had substance abuse issues. And Lucas and his brother uh, lived with his dad, um, and uh, they squatted in a house uh, as he was growing up, as a kid growing up. They squatted in a house. The only way they could cook food or bathe was when it was dark to climb over the fence into the next door neighbor's place to uh, use the hose, you know, to wash themselves, uh, to get water. You know, he has got, I, I'm, I met this this young man. Um, he works for um, a Robert Chromian salon, one of Robert's staff. And I met him at the airport. We got chatting. Our flight was delayed. And just bit by bit, I started hearing his story. He doesn't sort of just pour it out, but he's the most well-balanced, polite well-mannered, doesn't touch drugs, doesn't doesn't drink. He's a fantastic hairdresser, good-looking young man. So people like that, I find incredibly inspiring. Now, how does and, – and yet he's got every reason for his life to have been rubbish. He's got every reason for his life to be rubbish. So what is it that goes on in, in a kid like that – he's not a kid, he's in his mid-20s now – that enables him to turn into what he's turned into? Am I suggesting that he's written down goals on a piece of paper? Not necessarily, but they're written on his on his mind. They're written on his on his soul that this is who I want to be. This is what I want to achieve in life. And um, you know, I find people like that every bit as inspiring as uh, you know the the names that we will often trot out. Of course, I find Vidal inspiring. Of course, I find you know uh, John Paul de Jourier inspiring. I mean, but it's often these. Little guys. In fact, I was I was reading about uh, Jim Markham recently, who I've never met. I didn't even know who he was. And and you know, there's this guy who was married when he was 15. Mm -hmm. Am I right saying yes, that? he was yep. married when he was 15? He had a baby when he was 15, and and here he's gone on to become, you know, a, a multi-millionaire uh, owner of of a, a huge product company. I mean, you know, I find that story incredible. So you look at someone like Lucas and go. Is he the Jim Markham of the next 30 years? You know, it's got to be somebody. Why not let someone like him? And I love seeing those real 
rags to riches stories, of which John Paul de Joria, Vidal Sassoon had the same sort of tough beginning. So, you know, I love seeing these people, the diamond in the rough at the beginning, you know, on that journey. Because, hey, listen, in 30 years' time, someone's going to be the next Vidal. Someone's going to be the next, you know, JP. Someone's going to be the next Anthony Mascolo. You know, dream big, dream big, because goals are dreams, aren't they? They're just saying, this is who I want to be. This is, is what I want to achieve. And that's the first step, defining what it is that you want. If you want to call that a goal, great, call it a goal. And so for those who, who may not know who Jim Markham is, especially some of our, our younger audience, the, the founder of Colorproof, originally the founder of Pureology, which he sold for a lot of money to, to L'Oreal, uh, the founder of ABBA, uh, really brought vegan you know, to the professional industry. He's a, he's a genius, he's a chemist, and he was Paul Newman's hairdresser when he was a young man. So uh, Jim Markham is, is an amazing story. He and his wife, Cheryl, are, are old friends of mine and, and great people and, and, and very inspiring. So again, another name to Google, uh, Jim Markham of of color proof. I, I want to add on the goal setting too. Um, I think so many people get stuck because of the writing aspect of it. And we are a visual industry. I'm so glad you mentioned that whole visual nature of it, because I find that the act of writing it down, and I, I, I'm a big user of whiteboards. I actually have two whiteboards that, where you can use an erasable marker. I have them in my office. And, and I have goals and I have my to-do list on there and I can wipe it clean and put up new ones. But the act of writing it, which sometimes is annoying for some of us, um, is like the step in being able to visualize it. Because once it's up on the whiteboard, every morning when I come in, I see it. And by seeing it, we reinforce the learning. So for all the visual learners out there, and maybe those who are a little ADHD or dyslexic, you know, just know that the act of writing can be powerful. And then having that visualization can take you to the next step. You know, some hairdressers use, uh, you know, tools, which it is a tool like Pinterest, you know, and, and Pinterest is you know, a visual collection of imagery. Now, you know, why not have a Pinterest board? I know I do, and my wife does, you know, Pinterest boards of, of decor for the house or, you know, where we want to go on holiday or, you know, just great outfits or any, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, your, your Pinterest board can be a collection of visual images for this is the life that I want to lead. And people sometimes say to me, yeah, but is that really going to make a difference? And I say to them, do you know what? It's better to do it than not to do it. You know, that's the thing with a lot of these things is that, you know, when I do, because I, and I'm, I'm aware I didn't answer the question you asked me right at the beginning, what does a normal day look like for Anthony? <laughs> um, I do a lot of seminars and, uh, um, you know, I do management seminars, marketing seminars, team building seminars, you know, the whole range of seminars. And they're, they're a full day program typically. And, um, you know, sometimes in the management seminar, and this gets back to where we were talking earlier on about, you know, people that open salons are often completely unprepared for the reality of what's involved. And, you know, so I, I start at, at sort of 101 and say to them, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, what, what is, you know, I, I, I say to them, look, what's your, have you got a vision statement? Now, hairdressers will often look at you like, vision statement? Oh, my Lord, Anthony, it's a hairdressing salon. It's not McDonald's. I don't need a vision statement. And it's like, listen. Don't get hung up on terminology. You've got to call it something. A vision statement is just saying, this is what I want to do. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a, a Shakespeare. Just write down a series of bullet points. This is what I want to achieve. Now, you can call it a vision statement if you want. That's what I call it. You can call it anything you want. But, the vi you know, don't get hung up on terminology. Vision is just what I want to achieve. Now, 
Uh, I didn't go to university and study marketing or anything, but you know, that's to me what a vision statement is. It's my vision. It's it, it's is it a goal? Is a vision a goal? Yeah, very similar. I, I usually would say that you know a vision would be broken down into smaller bite-sized pieces, and I'd call them goals. Um, uh, what's a mission statement? Uh, well, for me, and I, I again I say to, for me because I haven't studied marketing. Someone might say, "Oh no, that's not the formal you know definition of a mission statement." But for me, a vision is what do you want to do? And a mission is how are you going to do it? So, you know, you've got to call things something, so don't get hung up on the terminology. But the point of this is that, you know, when I say to them, okay, let's write down what your vision for your business is. What's your vision statement? And then I say, now, what's your your mission statement? How are you going to achieve that? Just write a couple of sentences down, a few bullet points. You know, like I said, it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. You can revisit it. You can change it. You can, it it can evolve. In fact, it should evolve over time. And then I say to them, uh, what what are your values? You know, so, and they go, well, what are values? Values just mean what's important to you. What's important to you? See, for one salon owner, they're going to say teamwork. They're going to say professionalism. They're going to say punctuality. They're going to say having fun. They're going to say um, uh, doing photo shoots, attending shows. Uh, so, so they would be the values of one salon. Another salon might say, no, teamwork's not really important to us. We're, we're, we're booth rental. It's every man for himself. Uh, or, uh, no, education's not really important for us. You know, if they want education, they can go and get it. But, you know, we don't really have training and model nights, et cetera, et cetera. Now, far be it from me to say anyone is right or wrong. All I'm saying what's important is to define what your values are. So we spend the day talking about this sort of stuff. Now, this sort of stuff is not particularly fun and sexy and creative side of our industry. And that's where at the end of the day, sometimes people will say to me, yeah, but Anthony, is this really going to make any difference? And I use the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle. And I say to them, look, a a jigsaw puzzle on its own, one piece of that jigsaw is not going to you know, revolutionize the world, but it's all those pieces put together, which is what makes a jigsaw. It's like you you look at two salons, you look at one salon that's phenomenally successful, uh, and then you look at another salon that just, you know, down the road from it, and, and they just they just can't make ends meet. Well, what is it that that one salon is doing different, the successful one, to the non-successful one? Well, they're not doing one thing that's different. That's what people look for. They look for the king hit. There is no king hit. They're not doing one thing. They're doing hundreds of things, and they do them consistently, and they implement again and again and again, and they recognize that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. You've got to be in this for the long term. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. It's 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 not the hundred meters. This is not the Usain Bolt. This is the marathon. This is the 26 miles. You're in this for the long haul. And a lot of people they want success and they want it um, instantly without putting in the hard yards. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen like that. Everything you just mentioned, uh, vision, mission, values, applies. I would argue to the individual practitioner, to the hairdresser, to someone who's trying to build their career, uh, especially to someone who's trying to start or restart their career, to have that kind of vision for where you want to go, to have a personal professional mission, um, to have values. Um, All those things to me are 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 important to have, and they also kind of guide you for maybe where you want to work or where you want to take yourself. Any thoughts around that? Because by the way, you, we're going to talk in a moment about your series of books, Grow, and the first in that series is called Super Stylist. And so I want to, any thoughts about the stylist and, and vision and mission and values? Yeah, um, it, it's just as relevant at an individual level. 
as it is at a business level. It's like, you know, who do you want to be as an individual? You know, it's like, this is who I want to be. And, and, and uh, you know, the mission, well, how are you, you know, how are you going to get there? What do you need to do to make that happen? I, I you know, years ago, actually, was when I was still in New Zealand. So I was, and I weren't a hairdresser. I was 16 at the time. And uh, I went to see, uh, I forget how this happened. And I think I won some competition on the radio. Uh, in fact, I did. I, I rang up and I won some competition on the radio. And the prize was to go and see this guy called Earl Nightingale. There might be some people listening to this of our generation who know who Earl Nightingale is, and he's he's long dead. Uh, but he was the Tony Robbins of the 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, the guy was the the man at the beginning. I didn't know this, and I'd won a comb- I'd won tickets to go and see him. In fact, here's the funny thing. Uh, you could uh, there was a competition and two people could won tickets. One pe- one person won tickets to see Cheech and Chong, and the other the other one me won tickets to see Earl Nightingale. I didn't even know who Earl Nightingale was. And let, and let me say, I have I have to throw in most of our audience, except those of our generation, also probably don't know who Cheech and Chong are. Yeah, <laughs> who are, that's who true. are, who are yeah. kind of a couple stoner comedians who were who, <laughs> yeah. who were who were very funny. By the way, I, I recommend exactly. you, you, you yeah. search for them on YouTube. Yeah. So anyway, I, I went along to this thing and it was it was sponsored by the people who do um, uh, Dale Carnegie Public Speaking, which is a, you know, a global public speaking organization. And uh, I got talking to I was 16 and I got talking to a guy at the time who, who had the franchise for it in New Zealand. And he, uh, you know, after it sort of took me under his wing, I was a young man, you know, and, and uh, he obviously looked at me and thought I was a bit lost at some level. And he wrote down on this piece of paper. Uh, four words uh, after talking to me for about an hour. The four words he wrote down were want, plan, sacrifice, and act. And I folded it up. I carried that piece of paper in my wallet for 25 years. And it was this piece of paper that had been opened and closed so many times. It's not funny. I still have it, but I just took it out of my wallet. Um, And I, I realized that it had sort of been a bit of a compass for my life. And what he said was, first of all, You've got to know what it is you want in life. So this is us talking now about the individual. What is it that you want? Well, that's the vision part. That's what sort of a life do you want to lead? Yeah. So what do you want is the step one, whether it's at an individual level or at a corporate level. The second step is plan. That doesn't just happen. It like, um, you know, uh, I, I know that, that Wynn Claybaugh is a friend of yours. He's a friend of mine, too. You don't just get a physique like Wynn <laughs> if you don't plan for it. Do you know what I mean? I, I haven't planned for it. And, and by the way, and go to the gym. At, go to the gym at 6 a.m. every day because that's when I talk exactly. to Wynn while he's in the gym. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, he wants it. He plans for it to make it happen. And then this third step in that process is what are you prepared to sacrifice to make it happen? Because there's always a sacrifice. Sometimes that sacrifice will be time. So I'm sure when the alarm goes off at quarter to six in the morning, that there's some mornings where, you know, when or whoever thinks, do I really have to get up? You know, I'd much rather have a, have a lion this morning. So what are you prepared to sacrifice to get where you want to go in life? It might be money. It might be time. Sometimes it might be relationships with other people that are holding you back. And then the third, uh, fourth step, sorry, is act. It's it, you. You have to want it, so you have to know what you want. You have to plan. How are you going to make that happen? Sacrifice. What are you prepared to sacrifice to get there? And then the fourth and final step is you've got to take massive action. It doesn't just happen willy nilly. You've got to put in the hard yards. And I suppose you know that that was something that uh, uh, was given to me on a piece of paper at the time. Didn't mean a lot, 
But, you know, you asking that question about as a young stylist, how is that relevant? It's just as relevant whether you're a business unit of one or whether you have, you know, the, the, the vision to have a, a huge uh, corporation. You know, it, it all boils down to some fairly simple fundamentals in life. And, and that kind of advice, you know, the basic building blocks and, and, and a lot more, including, including more advanced, are, are part of this brilliant series of books that you've put out called Grow. Um, I've been a fan of them for some time, and and um, your wife Melinda was nice enough to send me a, another set of them. So uh, so I've got some, and I'm going to be handing them out to some of my favorite up and coming stylists since I've now got two sets. Um, but they they are um, the first one is called Grow uh, Super Stylist. The second is Grow Management. The third is Grow Team, and then you end with Grow Marketing. And I I think you're working on another book. I don't know if it's part of this series or another. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It, sh- it should have been the one I started with. It's Grow Money. Ah, um, oh, and that's... I should have I should have started with Grow Money because ultimately it's the most important one in a lot of ways. And and I had started it. I started it two and a half years ago. <laughs> it just you know writing a book you have to be. Uh, you, know, you have to be really focused. And every book that I've written is I've taken a chunk of time and I've really focused the time, you know, three, four weeks, and I have just worked, you know, unrelentingly on doing it. And um, I'm making excuses for myself here now, but I just haven't had that block of time to focus on on completing it. Um, yeah. So uh, what, what are the other four about? Super stylist in a, in a, a sentence is about getting hairdressers to understand that they are responsible for their own level of productivity, and therefore they're responsible for how much they earn. So it's talking about the soft skills of being a hairdresser. Um, a super stylist is is a person that I refer to, you know, who, who we all hear of them, who you know do phenomenal retail, great rebookings, have really good client retention, you know, um, uh, you know, great followings on Instagram, etc., etc., etc. How do they do that? Like, what is it that that enables them? You know, in other words, back to what we talked about before, what's the recipe? Don't reinvent the world. If someone is doing $1,000 a week, week in, week out in retail, well, copy them. What is it that they do, say? How do they think? How do they think about retail? How do they think about their role as a, a professional stylist? Because so much of the actions that you take are, first of all, determined by the thoughts that go on in your head. The thoughts that go on in your head will then determine the behaviors that you exhibit all day long, which will then uh, impact on the results that you achieve. So super stylist is about very practical, tangible skills, talking in layman's language from someone who's done it, someone who stands behind the chair. So we're talking about rebooking. We're talking about retail. We're talking about client retention. Um, And again, as I say, these are not the fun, sexy, creative skills of hairdressing. But without this stuff, without accepting the fact that you need to be commercially successful if you want to survive, and this is what commercial success is all about, without this stuff, you will not survive. Uh, and you and and therefore you will not have the opportunity to become the creative success that you want to. They go hand in hand, and it needn't be you know I'm the last one that's into you know hard sell and all that sort of thing. I think it's got to be very authentic and very genuine. And as a stand behind the chair stylist, I think that's what my greatest strength was. It's about being authentic, but looking at well, what were the things that I did? 
that enabled me to, you know, to rebook or pre-book, you know, 80, 90% of my clients week in, week out? What were the things that I did that enabled me to get uh, such high retail figures, you know, to have uh, such high client retention figures? So basically grow one super stylist and it's, you know, audio book, ebook, printed book is, is really a summary of the recipes that you need to follow. Why reinvent the wheel if someone can tell you how to do it? I have to share, there's a quote on the cover of your book, and that's something that, that most can get, and it, it's brilliant that it's there, is from Vidal Sassoon himself. It says, thoughtfully innovative and a lesson in communication skills, keep it close by. Uh, Vidal's endorsement of this book, Super Stylist. Kudos to you, Anthony, for having that. Well, there's a funny story behind that. I, um, you know, obviously working at Sassoon for 10 years, to me, that was the ultimate thing was to have a quote from Vidal on the cover of the book. And when I finished writing it and I had five digital copies printed um, that I, you know, so I could proof them again and get some testimonials. And I sent I sent one copy of it to Vidal asking for a testimonial to put on the front cover. And I did that in the December and it was all ready to print. All I needed was these testimonials for the front and back cover. And I had some others on the back cover that also I was waiting for. And they all dripped in fairly quickly within sort of two or three weeks. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And, you know, January, February, March, I'm still waiting, still haven't heard back from Vidal, you know, April. And then we get to May and I still haven't heard back from Vidal. And my birthday was coming up at the end of May. And I thought, if he has not got back to me by then. I'm pushing the print button anyway. I cannot wait, you know, but I didn't want to hassle him. I mean, you don't hassle Vidal, you know, or hustle Vidal, you know. So um, it was on my birthday. I was in the middle of London with my my wife and two daughters had taken me out for, for lunch and to go shopping. And I was walking down, uh, you know, Piccadilly. So I'm in the middle of London, a lot of street noise. And my phone rings and, uh, you know, my cell phone. And, I, and so I, I put the phone up to my ears and go, hello, you know, I can hardly hear it because there's so much street noise. And it's Vidal on the end. And he goes, you know, I'm not going to impersonate Vidal. <laughs> I might do it one to one, but I'm not going to do it to all your listeners. And he goes, Anthony, it's Vidal here. Now, I, I thought it was a friend of mine, you know, taking, you know, because a couple of people knew I was waiting for Vidal to get in touch. And uh, I was like, you know, about to... Um, what's the, what's the best way to describe this? You know, I was about to tell the person who I thought was my friend where to get off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was smart enough to hold back a second and I nipped down a little laneway where I could hear properly. And, uh, I said, look, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, so who was it again? And he said, Anthony, it's Vidal. And then we had this conversation for, you know, two or three minutes in this laneway. And he, he, uh, very kindly gave me that, uh, that testimony of my book. And unfortunately, that was the last time I had ever got to speak to him. But uh, it's, a, it's a nice signing off. It's, it's brilliant. And, and I have to say, uh, the back cover of, uh, we don't have time to read all these quotes, but from Mark Hayes, from Tony Muscola, from Trevor Sorby, from Tim Hartley, Wynn Claybaugh, Oscar Bond, who I just saw this last weekend. Who else do we have here? Robert Cromines, Frank Gambuse. I mean, this is a who's who of the industry. You know, uh, David Wagner, it, it just goes on and on, who just say wonderful things about these books and how important they are. And um, so I, I recommend them highly, and I don't give out these recommendations easily. Um, these are, are really kind of must-haves if you want to grow your career, if you want to grow your business. And real quickly on the the other books, um, you know, this, again, Super Stylist, The Essential Guide to Salon sure. Success is, is a subtitle. Um, but then marketing, uh, marketing, engage, communicate, connect is a subtitle. I love that. Management, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Love that. 
And then team, have you got what it takes to be part of a great team? Any, just anything you want to say about any of those um, little big ideas you want to share? Management's about you, you the manager. I mean, so often salon owners, uh, they think it's not them. I'm not the problem, Anthony, it's them. You know, they point to their staff. It's like, uh-uh, it starts with you. So management's about you. Uh, so that's grow two. Grow three is team building and, and grow three is about them. It's about how to build and be part of a team because, you know, that's what your success as a business owner is all about. It's about your ability to reproduce yourself, to to nurture, to build uh, a team of people that represent your ba- your brand. And Grow4 is marketing. And I'm, you know, whenever I talk about marketing, like if I'm doing a marketing seminar, I'll say to people, so what would you like to get out of today? Uh, the thing they always say is how to get more clients. And I point out to them um, again and again and again that marketing is not just about how to get more clients. And I think it's one of the biggest problems we have in this industry um, is that, you know, marketing, yes, it's about client generation, so getting new clients, but it's about client conversion. So turning them into regulars, and then it's about client retention, keeping them for as long as possible, because so many salons have a good supply of new clients. You know, they get 10 new clients a week, but they're losing 10 clients a week. So it's a, it's a zero sum game. So, you know, marketing in that book is not just about how to get new clients, but it's about how to turn them into regulars and how to keep them as long as possible. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, that's essentially what they're all about. It's the pillars of business and it's, it's what's what my career was based on. And it's what I, you know, it's from the heart, it's from the gut, you know, it's like, I, I've, I've not had any formal education. I talk about what's, what has worked. And I don't even think that this is all me. I'm not even nearly going to say it's all me. It's, I often feel like I'm a conduit for information because I've been lucky enough to, you know, I've presented seminars in over 50 countries now. And um, I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of hairdressers. You know, I've been in the industry a long time. And I have learned a lot of stuff from a lot of very, very good people. And I've seen a lot of very good businesses all over the world. And so, yeah, I think that I I often, you know, I, I serve as a conduit of information for uh, the ideas that I see in different countries and different salons all over the world. And I feel very privileged to, um, you know, to be in that position. And I, and I love that you you say that and, and that you you think of yourself that way because, you know, the world is filled with so many great ideas. And, and of course, you've had this, your own experience doing this, but the ability to travel the world and, and to meet so many people and to, in a sense, to use a very current term, to, to curate those ideas and to share those ideas with these audiences everywhere. And I've seen you speak. You're, you're one of the very best. So I encourage everybody to, to get to an Anthony Whitaker seminar sometime wow, soon. thank you. And I also love, you know, I'm going to say that, you know, the, I know the books are available in, in a variety of forms, as you've said, um, in, in, on your website, which is Grow My salonbusiness.com. And I, and I have to say about that, you know, we talked about writing down goals. Um, we talked about reading. To me, the, the act of typing into the URL in your browser, growmysalonbusiness.com. That there's something positive about that, right? It's almost a commitment. I'm, maybe it's yeah. a stretch here, but typing yeah. those words, grow my salon business um, to get to where your books are. I, I think that's a kind of a cool URL, but I think it's a, a kind of a empowering thing to put into that browser to type those words. I've never thought of it like that, but yeah, definitely. I can see where you're coming from. I love that. Um, I, I I love to ask this of everybody. Um, speaking of curation, I mean, it kind of speaks to this idea and, and that's to ask you, you know, what are, what are you watching, listening to, reading or, or obsessing about these days that you might share with our audience that you think they'd get some benefit from? Right. Books. Uh, there's a new book out. It's, um, it's, 
the hairdressing book. It's by Anthony and Pat Mascolo. Oh, yes. Um, and it's called Infringe. And it's, you know, it's Infringe. The, the subtitle is It's an Anthropology of Hair. It's a brilliant book. If you're a hairdresser and you haven't got this book in your collection, you're not serious. It's a great book. It's not just another coffee table book of, you know, the latest collection of haircuts. It's a must have. So um, it's it's a brilliant book. So Infringe is, might be my number one book at the moment. Um, the other things, uh, I, I love a website. There's a couple of websites I love, which I highly recommend. One of them is called The Cool Hunter. Uh, so thecoolhunter.net. Uh, cool, C-O-O-L, hunter.net. And it's just cool. It just has great architecture, great, just great stuff, you know. And as as a hairdresser who is, you know, visually creative and, and interested in what's happening in the world, uh, coolhunter.net, subscribe to that. It's brilliant. And I have to stop. I just ha- I want you to keep going, but I'm going to stop you there because it's so, the world is so funny. So yesterday I was in Las Vegas and I was with um, Randy Taylor and, and Gerard Scarpecci from Hairbrain, the founders of Hairbrain. And we were having this very same conversation, sharing things that inspire us. And Gerard said, do you know about Cool Hunter? You've got to get uh, on Cool Hunter. So I bookmarked yeah. it yesterday. I did it on Instagram yeah, yeah. yesterday. So and, and it's very cool. It has a great name. So uh, thank thank you for sharing that one with our audience. Yeah, and no, it's I, a good one. I I didn't know it's it's an interesting one because it's very global. Yes. And uh, when you, I knew you were going to ask me about this today, I thought, where are they based? And I didn't know. Do you know where they're based? I don't. I'm I'm new in, to it. In, I've got a 24 okay. hours under my belt. If I'm right, they're ba- they're based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and it sort of seemed like it would be based in London or New York or, or L.A. So, you know, it's it's very global in its outlook. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is um, The Hunger magazine. So if you Google hungertv.com, um, it is it's very cool. It's a London based blog. Uh, again, um, it's it's very creative. So it's the latest fashion uh, the latest music, uh, you know, the latest shows it is it's really forward thinking. So I highly recommend uh, the hunger blog, hungertv.com. Um, and then what else do I get particularly turned on by at the moment is uh, uh, there's this new thing called American Salon Stories. That's pretty darn good. I really <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for that. And I, I will send you a pound of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. And, and I know we were talking about him earlier, Wynn Claybaugh. Uh, I'm a I'm a you know a lifelong learner. I love hearing people speak. I love hearing you know uh, the ideas that go inside of people's heads. And and winners had masters going forever. Um, I've got masters from when it was on uh, uh, tapes, cassette tapes. Yes, me too. And and they're brilliant. And he still does it. And he interviews brilliant people. A lot of them not in the industry. And I often think when I look at them, I go, oh, that one's not going to be very interesting. And they're often the most interesting. So, you know, I always look forward to American Salon Stories now. I, obviously, I look forward to Masters every month. I look forward to getting the Hunger blog, the Cool Hunter. You know, I look at a lot of magazines. I, you know, I read a lot, um, you know, so – yeah, yeah. There's Good some stuff. things to keep people going. Good stuff. And, and I have to add the recommendation uh, to your recommendation for Infringe. Um, I, I, it's, it's 500 pages of brilliance. And I, I love the website. You know, um, Anthony Mascolo and, and Pat have put together this brilliant website, infringe.com. And um, they have a curated newsletter. And it's just, it's over the top. It, it's, it's so fashion forward relative to hair. And that whole titling of the anthropology of hair is just, it's so spot on. It's a, it's a true inspiration. Yep, definitely. Anthony, tell us where 
our audience can find you online, on social media, any, anywhere and everywhere? Okay, it's dead easy. Uh, my website is growmysalonbusiness.com. My Instagram is at growmysalonbusiness. And my Facebook is at growmysalonbusiness. Or you can email me, Anthony, and it's without an H. So it's just A-N-T-O-N-Y at growmysalonbusiness. Um, and people who are wanting to sign up for the Two Minute Salon Manager, it's a free resource if you want it. It's, a, it's called the Two Minute Salon Manager because it's two minute sound bites of the sort of stuff that we've just spoken about today. And if you want it, you just go to my website, growmysalonbusiness.com. And on the homepage, you just put in your, uh, your name and email address and you'll have that in your inbox every Tuesday morning to uh, start your day off with a, with a kick in the pants. Anthony, thank you so much. All that stuff, I, I recommend highly that everybody, you know, makes them, puts it on your to-do list, you know, visit those sites, um, get that education. Uh, again, American Salon, we love um, the two-minute salon manager. We're, we're so grateful to you for sharing and, and for being a guest with us today. Um, it's been an honor to have my first guest on the podcast from across the pond. And um, I, I have to share this as, as we go. Um, you have stepped out of your house today. Um, you have, uh, you're, you're, you're broadcasting from a, a special room away from your home as your daughter prepares for her prom. And so um, we appreciate that extra effort even more. Um, Anthony Whitaker, it's, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it wasn't just uh, at my daughter. It was the fact that she invited six girlfriends over to do their hair and makeup. And I thought, two problems here. If I hang around, I'm going to get drafted to help. And, and secondly, there was no way we would have been able to do this without lots of shrieking in the background. So I'm very happy happy to not be at home. <laughs> again, thank you. And, uh, and we look forward to doing this again very soon. Gordon, I would just like to say thank you very much for the invitation and to wish you all the very best with American Salon Stories. I think it's fantastic. And uh, we'll touch base soon. All right. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon stories next week. Music.